Good morning. As we gather for worship on this beautiful morning, let us come into the sanctuary, become aware of God's presence as we listen to the organ prelude. God is my light, my hope, my all in all. Whom shall I fear? God is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I asked of God, let me live in the shelter of you, in the beauty of your realm, in the wonder of your house. We seek your face, God. Do not turn aside. Teach us your way, God. Show us your path through all that life brings and we shall see the blessing of God. Come, Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. 
Let us pray together. Holy One of blessing, we are too well aware that life brings us pains, doubts, uncertainties. We remember that Abram was filled with questioning, the early church surrounded by threats, Jesus himself confronted with fearful powers. In the midst of that awareness, we call upon you our everlasting refuge. Remember your people, God. We long for a way through the frights and sorrows of the world. We pray for your support. Come, Holy One, come, Spirit of life. Come into this holy place and this holy hour and fill us again with assurance of your grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to First Community Church on this beautiful morning. As we gather in worship, uh, we welcome members and visitors alike, and we welcome those who are worshiping with us online. We hope this indeed will be a blessing to you this day and in the coming week. We welcome you. There is a ritual of friendship pad at the end of each row. If you'll pass it down the row and register your attendance, and then pass it back up the row and note the names of those with whom you are worshiping, and greet one another by name following worship. Also, you can indicate if you desire a pastoral call or anything else you communicate on that pad, I assure you will follow up with you this week or speak to me following the service. As always, we have the worship bulletin insert, First News Sunday, which has all the many activities of this Lenten season. I would cite to you uh, that uh, Dr. Glenn Miles, uh, Route 66, what does the Bible really say about class will begin uh, this Tuesday. It's a four-week study, and we hope you can join us at the North Campus from 7 to 8 p.m. on Tuesday, March 19th, and through uh, the Lenten season as we prepare for our time of worship at Easter. Uh, also, this is a day that we all are thinking about uh, our brothers and sisters in New Zealand, and uh, there is an interfaith uh, prayer service at New, for New Zealand victims and uh, a time against hate. It's at 2 o'clock this afternoon on Sunday, and it's at the State House downtown. So let that be something you may consider for this day. Let us continue our worship now with the gospel lesson. The gospel lesson this morning is from Luke, chapter 13, verses 31 to 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me, Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed away from Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. See your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Here ends the reading of the gospel. Let us pray. In the beauty of this day, in the midst of the Lenten season, as we continue to seek your guidance, as we pray, as we prepare, we gather this day indeed seeking you, your presence, your love, your comfort, your peace. We come on also a day when the shootings in New Zealand Although across the globe, but close to home, we gather asking your guidance and help as we all stand against racial, ethnic, and religious bigotry, hatred, and violence. We pray for the victims, for those who are bereaved, and indeed for your entire world. For we know that you will the way of peace and of nonviolence. And we know that we are falling well short of this in our lives and in our communities. We ask your guidance, your blessings in all that we do, our work, our play, our recreation, our fellowship. We pray for our communities 
and for our self-government. We pray for wise and good government and justice and peace, not only here but throughout your creation. For we are all made in your image, and your will for us is deep and abiding. Help us to turn to you and to follow you more closely. We do pray for the sick and the dying in our congregation, whether in hospitals or institutions of rehabilitation or in homes. We ask your comfort and your healing power and your peace. And we do pray for the bereaved who have lost loved ones, even though no one is ever lost to you. And we gather in that conviction. We do pray for the family of Sarah Pinkham as we gather this day, and we ask that you would be with them, and as we, as a community of faith, mourn the loss of Sandra. We pray this in the name of the one who gave us life in all its abundance, and all our spoken and unspoken prayers we lift up to you as we now pray together the prayer you taught us by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. It is now time for the children in kindergarten through fifth grade. You're invited to leave for your Sunday school classes. You'll continue your worship and study. We give thanks for your presence here this day and wish you all of God's blessings this day and throughout the week. And it is also time to receive our morning tithes and offerings, and we give in many ways. We are called as people of faith to give to ministries, to the alleviation of suffering, However we give with our time, our talent, our treasure, let us give with a sense of joy and thanksgiving as we give together now. Amen.
distress. Answer me from thy throne. Haste thee, Lord, to mine aid. Thy pity show in my deep anguish. Thy pity show in my deep anguish. Let not the sword of vengeance smite me, though righteous thine anger, O Lord, shield me in danger, or regard me on thee.
as the gifts are presented, would all rise in body or spirit. Let us pray. God of all goodness, we thank you for your blessings, more numerous than the stars, more bountiful than the greatest of harvests, more steady than the beat of our hearts. Here we dedicate our gifts and rededicate ourselves to your vision of hope and wholeness. May all that we do support your kingdom of love. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. seated, please. Would you join me and take a moment to thank Andy Blosser for his beautiful work this morning? The text this morning, as your bulletin notes, is Psalm 31. The words that are there are from last week, though. It is indeed Psalm 31, but not what's printed before you. So if you would, please listen carefully as I share the wisdom text. Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Do not let me ever be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save. You are indeed my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Take me out of the net that is hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. You hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will exult and rejoice in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have taken heed of my adversities, adversi adversities and have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord. For I'm in distress. My eye wastes away from grief, my soul and body also. Now hear these words. For my life is spent with sorrow, and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my misery, and my bones, they waste away. I'm the scorn of all my adversaries, a horror to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street, they flee from me. I've passed out of mind like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. 
I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. Do not, oh Lord, do not let me be put to shame. For I call on you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go dumbfounded to Sheol. Let the lying lips be stilled that speak insolently, insolently against the righteous with pride and contempt. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Bob Forbes was a member of First Christian Church in San Francisco when my father was the pastor there. He and my father were very good friends, although at times they would have disagreements. Bob was an elder and a leader of the, of the governing board in that, in that congregation. There were times when he and dad had some public, rather public disagreements about a variety of things. Nothing ultimately too serious, but they're serious enough to get folks' attention. But Bob, because he wanted to be sure that, he, that my dad understood that they were friends, even when they disagreed, would oftentimes take him out to lunch a few days after the board meeting was over just to reassure him. In fact, I even started to think that my dad disagreed with Bob publicly on occasion just so he could get that free lunch once in a while. <clears throat> Mr. Forbes was always very kind to me. I was in high school back in those days, and he would see me in church on Sunday and say, how, was your game? how were your games last week? How'd you do? How many points did you score? And then when it was not basketball season, he'd ask me about school. In the summer, he'd ask me about my summer job. He was that kind of adult that, that the church so often needs, somebody who cares about others and is interested in those that, that, that he or she encounters. A wonderfully kind and, and gracious man. On the Sunday before I left San Francisco to go to Oregon for college, Mr. Forbes came up to me and he shook out his hand and congratulated me. When we shook hands, I noticed there was a $20 bill in his palm. He smiled and said, take your roommate out to pizza on me the first week you're there. In fact, every time then that I would come home at Thanksgiving or Christmas or spring or summer break, every time I'd then go back to school, Mr. Forbes would always shake my hand and there'd be another $20 bill with that little smile and that little twinkle in his eye. Again, take your buddies out for some pizza, it's on me. Three years later, Julie and I got married. We were only 20 years old. I highly recommend that you not get married at that age. That's way too young. But on the, on the day of our wedding celebration, Mr. Forbes was there as well, and he handed us a card, and, and we opened it up, and of course it said congratulations and all that, and there were two $20 bills on the inside of the card. And he said, take your bride out to a nice dinner, not, underline three times, pizza. Um, I'm embarrassed to admit, have you ever heard of the Sizzler? That's where I took her to dinner that night. <laughs> Not exactly the top of the culinary list for sure. Mr. Forbes, a couple years after that, about a year and a half later, while I was still in school up in Oregon, died. He was from Springfield, Oregon, just across the river from Eugene where Julie and I were in school. My dad was invited to come up and lead the funeral service for him. Dad called me and said, I'd love for you to be there and, and would you read scripture and maybe take two or three minutes to share something about Mr. Forbes and the way you experienced him. I'd never done a funeral before. I'd been involved in one, never even attended one. But I said, sure. And so I read scriptures and I told a couple of these same stories about Mr. Forbes and his kind generosity, how he was a successful business person who was very generous in all that he had received in his life. And then later that day, I went home and by myself, I wept in quiet. I cried tears of sorrow. Frankly, I, I cried for myself. So I didn't, I didn't like what I was feeling. I didn't like this sadness. 
Now, I'd experienced death in my, in my life, of course. I had a little cat named Willie who I dearly loved who was poisoned by a, a mean-spirited neighbor. I had a dog who, was, who, who had died much, much too young, so I'd certainly encountered death in that way, but this was the first time someone I deeply cared about in my life had passed away. Have you noticed that our joys in life are all over the place? For some, there, nothing could be finer than an afternoon of college football, yet still for others, nothing could be finer than a, than a classical concert at the Ohio Theater. Our joys are, are all over and as varied and different as that, but we're united in our grief, our sadness, and our sorrow when we experience the loss of a loved one. Last week while I was in Mexico on the Mexico youth trip with our, with our youth and adults there, I, I talked to several of our young people and I was reminded again and again and again in several conversations of how sorrow is felt strongly by our youth and our young adults as well. Each morning we began our, our trip, our, our day, with, with a gathering around the, the campfire. We'd, we'd sing a song or two, there'd be some prayers, and then one of the young people would offer the devotion for the day. On one particular day, Grace Schooley, I think she's a junior in high school, she was the youth who led the, who led the service. In her comments, which were, were beautiful and wise, she quoted from a Mary Oliver poem titled, Heavy. Here, here are some verses from it. Still, I was bent, and my laughter the poet said, was nowhere to be found. Then said my friend Daniel, brave even among the lions, it's not the weight you carry, but how you carry it. Books, bricks, grief. It's all in the way you embrace it, balance it, carry it. It's not the way weight you carry, it's the way you balance it, embrace it carry it. We were outside in, in freezing cold temperatures. It was about 35. It was drizzling. It was, the wind was howling, but there wasn't a single person in that group gathered around that warm campfire who moved. Every one of us, youth and adult alike, were leaning in toward her, listening carefully as this one wise beyond her years invited us to name the grief the books and the bricks and all that we carry to embrace it. Sorrow, sorrow is a universal feeling. The family my work team built out, by the way, when I say my work team, I really have to be careful. I have absolutely no skills in construction whatsoever. I, I'm, I can work hard, I can turn concrete and cement, mix cement all day, I can pound nails, but actually knowing what and how to do it are way beyond me. Our kids were tremendous. They, they were, uh, I was amazed at the way how quickly they picked up the skills that were needed. But the family that our, our work team was working for were, were a couple named Jorge and Izela. They had a small baby that was staying in the small trailer right next to our site. Jorge and his wife, Isela, were very welcoming of us. In fact, Jorge even said uh, later in the week, this is the first group of Americans that he'd ever encountered in his life who treated him well. He completely changed his view of the United States of America because of the youth and adults that you sent to Tecate, Mexico. I, I, it might sound hyperbolic, but I've said this many times in the past. We can change the world by simply practicing the love and acceptance and grace that Jesus Christ invites us to live. We can change the world. Maybe it's only one person at a time, but it was beautiful to see the way Jorge 
the way Jorge smiled every time we walked onto the site where his new home was going to be built. Is that preacher hyperbole? Absolutely not. Well, Jorge and, and Isela, they have three, three children total, two from Jorge's first marriage. His first wife had died following a terrible disease. He said that he was greatly lonely. A few years later, he was standing in line, he told us, at a medical clinic where he was waiting to be seen by a doctor. As he got closer in line up to the, the place where the office administrator was checking people in, he thought, I think I recognize that woman. He leaned into her and said, are you Isella? And she looked at him and said, Jorge? You see, 20 years before, they'd been high school sweethearts. They'd broken up after a couple of years and both gone their separate ways, lost complete track of the other, but here they were 20 years later, met together again by fate. By the way, we asked Isella, what was it like seeing your old boyfriend from way before for the first time after 20 years? She smiled and said something like this, he was much more gordito, much chubbier. <laughs> It was, their love, though, was extraordinarily beautiful. But as he shared his story, he reiterated again, when I finally ran into Isela, I was very lonely. There was sorrow and sadness. Oh, we don't speak Spanish. None of us spoke Spanish except our translator, but you didn't have to speak the language to hear the sadness in his voice. I was very lonely. I was very lonely. That's, that's the invitation of this text on this day is to name our, our loneliness, to name our sadness. We tend to think that, that we experience grief and sorrow and sadness and stages and then we move through that and then we get to happiness and joy that somehow, okay, I'm grieving now, now I'm sorrowful, now I'm happy, now I'm joyful and I've left all that behind. No, 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 no. Look at the story of, of Jorge and Isela. They've found each other again. They have great joy and happiness. They have this new little baby who's absolutely beautiful and yet the sorrow and the sadness have not gone away. Today's poet also notes the pain of lost friendships. Verse 11 says he is a scorn to his neighbors. Now, I'm, I'm fairly certain that Julie and I have never been considered a scorn to our neighbors. As far as I know, anyway, we never have. But we know what it's like to have lost friends, to said goodbye to dear ones we, we love. I've mentioned before the only difficult part, the only difficult part about coming to this great congregation was leaving behind our boys, Nate and Stephen, and our dear, dearest, closest friends. Julie and I were part of a small group of preachers and, and their spouses, four couples who met once a month on a Sunday evening after all the church services were done. But what we missed the most is not only our small group, but the ability to, to call up our boys and say, hey, Nate and Stephen, you want to come over for dinner? In fact, rarely did we have to call and invite them. They usually somehow figured out that dinner was being served at a particular time. They just magically appear. They're, hey, you got extra for me? Or we'd call our friends Adam and LaVon on Sunday night after a long day of church services and say, hey, I know you you guys are tired like us, but you want to catch a movie? Most of the time, the answer was yes. It was hard to leave behind those deep, deep friendships, leave behind our family, our boys. But here's where a bit of good news seeps into our, our experience of what this psalmist wrote. Back when Julie and I moved to Tennessee, back in the 80s, where I went to seminary, we experienced the same loss again, the sorrow and sadness, loneliness of leaving all of our friends and family behind in, in California. Now, on the other hand, I actually had a pretty good time. 
the first couple of months we were there, I was in school, I was taking Greek, I was learning all these new things, making a couple of new friends, really having fun. Julie was in a tough job that she didn't really appreciate very much, and, and we lived in this little teeny tiny, I mean, 800 square foot clapboard farmhouse. It wasn't very nice. We had no furniture except for a bed and a TV. In fact, one day I came home, I think it was the first of November, Julie was sitting on the floor in our living room. She was just sobbing. I was smart enough to know not to say anything. I just sat down next to her. And without asking, she said, I'm all alone. I don't know anybody. We have nothing. The next day, I ran into my friend Rob, another guy from California, who he and I had become, started to become buddies. I told him about what was going on with with Julie and me, and he said, you guys, you have it all wrong. He came out to our house that night. He said, you guys, you sat down on the floor. We had some pizza, and, and he said, listen, you guys have it all wrong. I know it's sorrowful. I know you're sad. Don't worry about that. Keep your sadness and your sorrow there. I know it's what it's like to miss your family and friends. So do I. But you also have an opportunity now to make new friends and buy new furniture. I found a discount furniture place. We, let's go furniture shopping. So we went furniture shopping that night, and we found a new sofa and a new couch and a small dinette set with four chairs. And then later that week, Julie sent a Notice out to everybody we'd met in school the first couple months and said, come to our house for a party. Bring whatever you've got to eat and we'll figure it out. And we had cheap wine, good food, and great conversations. We became the party house. We became the place where everybody would show up uninvited, just like our boys on a Friday night saying, hey, we brought some food. What's, when does the party start? Do you, you see where I'm going here? It's, it's not about pushing the sadness and the sorrow down and pretending like it's all okay. It's rather naming it claiming it and embracing it, as the poet Mary Oliver said, embrace it. And like Daniel in the lion's den, be brave. Find the new hope, the new life that is there. Verse 14 in the text said, but I trust in you, O Lord. You are my God. This ancient Hebrew theologian is reminding us 2,500 years later that one can experience both sorrow and hope in the same moment, in the same time. What the poet and Julie and, and me and Jorge all discovered is that it is possible to embrace hope while still naming the sadness. Learning to trust in God and hope in each other, even in the midst of loss and sorrow, may be the most difficult thing that we experience in the life of the church, but I've seen it happen before. I, I led three mission trips to South Africa. On the first trip that we were there on our final day, we met a woman named Rose Mitchell. Rose was very concerned about her neighborhood. She lived in the Buffalo Flats Township, and anyone who was dying, most anyone who was dying of, of, of HIV AIDS was pushed out of their house. Many times, oftentimes, left in the road to die. This was just, just a horrible thing for Rose to see. She rented a tiny little two-room office. She found four beds. She put up a cardboard barrier between two of the beds, and she brought two women and two men, all four of whom were dying from complications due to HIV AIDS, just so that the last voice they heard on earth would be hers, whispering into their ears, you are a beloved child of God. When we met Rose and those four people in that tiny little space that she called a hospice, we knew this was why God had sent us to South Africa. 
we came back on another trip and then on a third one. And at the end of that third trip, we had partnered with the Church of, uh, United Church of Southern Africa, with the police force, with the firefighters, with a, with a boys' school nearby, and we converted a dilapidated recreational center into a 16-bed hospice for the Buffalo Flats Township. And not only are, were there 16 beds, they also, at this point today, many years later, they have over 100 HIV patients in that township who are now eating well and getting medication. And uh, who, people who should have been dead are now alive because of that woman named Rose. She waded into the sorrow. We saw it most clearly on our last day on our third trip. She said, I want you to come to the orphanage. It's an orphanage for children and babies who are infected with HIV AIDS, who were infected at birth. We got to this small house, three bedrooms, 12 or 13 children there, most of them three, four years old, some of them in, in, still in diapers, still infants. It was, it was amazing to see. Our group was quite fearful. We were worried about, about AIDS and can you, if you kiss a little baby on the cheek and there's a tear, can you get AIDS? We had all those kinds of fears, all of them unfounded, of course, but still they were there. I love the way our group came in. They got down on their knees. They hugged those little babies. They kissed them on the cheeks. They forgot about their fear. And then at the end of our visit, Rose came out with a boy named Patrick eyes were large and almost lifeless. Arms and legs were limp. She said to us, Patrick has never walked. He might have weighed 40 pounds. When I looked at Rose holding that tiny boy, I knew I was looking at the face of God and the way God welcomes each of us in our pain in our sorrow, in our sadness. Rose, Rose waded into that pain-filled place. And although there was sorrow and sadness and fear and worry, it was the children running all around that filled us with hope, seeing that they had a possibility of a future. How many years would they have? I don't know, but more than they would have without Rose and her courageous willingness to move into that place of pain and worry. I will trust in you, O God, the psalmist writes. Perhaps this willingness to trust is wrapped up in the courage that it takes to risk experiencing a broken heart. In fact, tonight at the 5.30 service, we're going to sing a song by, by U2, written by Bono, their lead singer. The lyric at the end is, take this heart, take this heart, take this heart and let it break. Do you hear the promise and the beauty of that? If you want your heart to never be broken, well, then give it away to no one. Because if you're going to be alive and love someone, the chances are your heart will be broken. Maybe not by them, but maybe when their life ends, there'll be that pain and that sorrow. But it takes courage to give ourselves over, over to the beauty of God's ways. I, I don't know if you've noticed this before, but read through the Gospels. Not a single time or, or rarely will you find Jesus explaining some deep theological issue. All, these, all kinds of deep theological issues are named. Most of the time, Jesus doesn't really explain them. What does he do? You want, you want to make a difference in the world? You want to deal with this issue? Then come and see. Come and follow me. Follow. It's an invitation to walk forward together with the very presence of God to encounter whatever it is that the world brings toward us. And maybe part of that journey 
becomes the willingness to be honest with each other and with God, to name who we truly are. We've been here now two years. We celebrated our two-year anniversary on Friday, March, March 15th. I've grown to love this church. I've known about this church for a long time. I first discovered this church back in 92 or 93, something like then. There was an article in the Christian Century, a magazine I still subscribe to, that said this is the most important progressive church in America. I just love that. Uh, I gotta find the, I've got the article somewhere in my files. I need to find it and share it with you. What was true then is true today, I believe. And yet, and yet you know as well as I that we're far short of perfect. You, your, your pastor is all too human, more so than I'm willing to admit out loud even, frankly. We are, we are at times broken. We are at times wounded. We are at times far short of perfect. Now, I know that doesn't sound like the sort of thing we would, we would advertise coming up to Easter. We're going to have a mailing go out and we have some posters up and flyers, all that sort of thing. But maybe we ought to say that. You know what? Maybe we ought to put on our Easter flyer inviting people to, to church. We're less than perfect. Join us. How, how difficult would that be, actually? Maybe our doors would get knocked down by people saying, finally, a church that is honest and open to the world about who it is and what it is. The great preacher Barbara Brown Taylor says that what we need is an advertising campaign that honestly proclaims we do the best we can. Or here's your other one. Christians meet here Enter at your own risk. Yeah, I kind of like that. Maybe we ought to put that on, a, on our lawn out front and up at the North Campus and, and down at Akita. Enter at your own risk. Because here we're going to be honest. Here we're going to be true to our calling. calling. Here we're going to embrace sorrow while trusting in the very hope of God. Maybe that's what we really need to do more than anything else. Name our pain, trust in God, and move forward in hope. What's the rock star saying? Take this heart and let it break. God, take our hearts and let them break so that we might find the courage to follow you. Amen.
seated, please. On my last day in Mexico last week, my new friend David Zid, who was on the, the site that I was working, one of the adult leaders, came walking into the tent where we gathered each night for our, our evening meal, with this, carrying this large brown paper bag. He opened it up and, and revealed seven or eight, maybe it was a dozen, I don't know, all these large Mexican pastries, marvelously baked and prepared. And he said, as he did that, he said, well, my new friend, let us break bread together. We sat there and we ate way more Mexican sweets than we should have. And then other kids came over and other adults came over and we just had this marvelous feast celebrating the joy of, uh, of our work together. That's essentially what we're doing at this table here with each other, some longtime friends, some new friends, some friends that have yet to been made. We're invited to come here to this table and receive this bread and drink this wine as a reminder of the joy that God gives to us and to the world, even in the midst of whatever pain or sorrow or sadness we're experiencing. Here at this place, everyone is invited. There are no walls, there are no barriers, there are no restrictions simply an invitation given to come and taste and experience the joy of God's good love. May it be well with you. And also with you. Life is a gift and we its celebration. May we rejoice in the beauty that we are. So we bring thanksgiving for the beauty of creation, our universe, our planet, our fellow human beings and all the species living in the community with us. We hear the mysterious voice of the Creator in all that is, and we celebrate the movement from bondage to liberation that echo throughout the biblical stories. In the fullness of time, Jesus arose, living a human life, sojourning in the wilderness and refusing the temptations to worldly power and self-aggrandizement becoming saturated with God's presence in such a manner that he could stand up to the powers and principalities of religion and empire and even face death on the cross. As his beloved community, we are called to follow the way of Jesus, seeking justice, resisting evil, and embracing the fullness of our humanity to uncover the presence of God in our lives that we might perform acts of compassion in co-creating the kingdom of God on earth. In preparing for the Easter celebration of new life, we engage this season of practice and reflection, opening our hearts to transformation and renewal. We come to this service of communion seeking nourishment for heart, soul, body, and mind during our Lenten journey. And so we remember that when Jesus gathered with his friends in that upper room, he took bread, 
and broke it, saying, take and eat, all of you. It's given as a sign of God's goodness. In the same way, he took a cup and, and filled it, saying, this is the love of God poured out for you. Drink of it, all of you. His invitation on that night was extended to all to taste and see and know the goodness of God.
The bread and the cup we have taken are a sharing in the life of Christ. May our acceptance of it today be a sign of our faith in the ongoing goodness of a God who journeys with us in the power of love to remove any barrier within and among us, in the mystery of the call given to each one here to make bread and life and beauty available to everyone. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers, let us leave now with the grace, the love, and the very vision of God as ours for guiding us today and forever. Amen.